Hello and welcome to Beyond Busy, the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance and defining happiness and success. My name is Graham Alcott, I'm your host for the show and on this episode I'm talking to Lorraine Pascal. So I am recording this uh, a few days before the episode goes out. The main reason for that is that when the episode goes out I'll be sat in a field somewhere with my little boy at WOMAD Festival. Really looking forward to it and I'm slightly nervous that there just feels like when you take an autistic toddler to a music festival, there's a, there's such a big packing list and so I am sat here at home on Friday night, uh, he's just falling asleep upstairs and uh, I just have so much to do on Amazon and everywhere else. Um, the thing about this little period is I've got uh, this trip coming up. I'm then going to Ireland for a week. I'm then coming back, dropping him off, going to Edinburgh Festival for three days. And in and amongst all of that is my first forays into putting my house on Airbnb, uh, which is a really interesting experience in itself. It feels like launching a product. It feels like... You know, you're sort of having to become a hotel in a way, you know, so I've been ordering my little soaps and shampoos and all that kind of thing. And in amongst all of this, with all this stuff going on, it's the first time in quite a few months where I've really needed my second brain. And um, if you're tuning into this for the first time, I've been on a sabbatical, basically. So I've been away from work for uh, the best part of six months. And what I've been doing in the last couple of weeks is just kind of getting back in the zone. So one of the things I did today was get back onto Nosby, which is my second brain app, and start downloading all this stuff I needed to do into Nosby. And sure enough, I felt so much better when I just got it all out of my head, when I put it all into the system there and just stared at it and looked at the projects and looked at what I needed to do. And so I'm sat here on a Friday night recording this, which is one of the 32 things that I have to do this evening. Most of them are quite short and small little things to do. Uh, but I just feel so much clearer and so much better. And it's a really interesting piece of learning because... Obviously, I've written books about this stuff and I have practiced this stuff for a long time. And having been out of the habit, it's almost like seeing the work and seeing the stuff that you teach for the first time and realizing the magic of having a second brain, realizing the magic of productivity once you start to make it happen. So feeling really, really good about that. And uh, it just, it's, yeah, it's, it, I feel quite excited. It's kind of, kind of a weird thing at the end of a long day. Uh, so I'm actually just back from London today, having just had the conversation with Lorraine. Uh, really fun. I think this is just such an inspiring uh, conversation and it's very wide ranging. So we talk about social media, we talk about dealing with criticism and being in the public eye and what it means to be a celebrity, all kinds of stuff. So if you don't know Lorraine's work, so she is uh, a baker, a TV chef. Uh, her TV shows have been on in 70 countries around the world. She sold a million books in the UK phenomenal success and is also just on the cusp of lots of new things uh not just around being a baker but also being someone who inspires people around making career changes and around being the best that they can be so just yeah someone who is just full of positivity energy uh excitement and you know i really felt like i learned a lot from this conversation and yeah just lots of little little nuggets that are just percolating around my head. It, it takes me often when I have these conversations, like three or four days to really 
get to the heart of, huh, that's the thing that I need to take away from that. But with this one, it feels like there's two or three things straight away, even on the train on the way home. I'm like, huh, I need to think about that differently. I need to do that differently. So I'm hoping that you have the same experience listening to this. Uh, I just think it's always really interesting to to be around people who just have such a sense of positivity. And I've also, I mean, Lorraine, the other thing that we talk about at the start of this is that she's been through some really difficult times and come through those. And I I just think that is in itself just something that gives people real inspiration. So let's get into this. So I'm, so I met Lorraine in Clapham, uh, which was great for me because it means I don't have to go all the way into London and have to deal with London Bridge and London Victoria and the the absolute nightmare places that those two places are. Uh, so we met in Clapham. We walked down the road to the Battersea Art Centre, up the hill, I should say, and um, just found a little corner in there. So you join us at Battersea Art Centre on a Friday lunchtime and chewing the fat. Here's my conversation with Lorraine Pascal. Um, I'm with Lorraine Pascal. How are you? Hi, I'm great, thank you. Good uh, to be here. We're at Battersea Art Centre. Mm. Um, screwed away in a little corner. Uh, they're having a fundraiser in the entrance there for the fire that took place. When was the fire? 2015. Yeah. Uh, a big part of the great hall here burned down, so they're selling off the charred bits of roof. Uh, but we're sat in a bit that has a roof. It's all good. <laughs> uh, on a lovely day in London. Um, so, yeah, really great to connect with you and um, have a chat. And so in yeah. the last few days, I've been following your Instagram Okay. So I want to start with that. So uh, it feels like you're all over that stuff. Like you're you're doing your Instagram stories regularly. Yeah. Uh, all that kind of thing. Uh, last night you were on the red carpet. Is that right? Oh yeah. Is that last? I never know. You know, with the stories thing, mm-hmm. uh, if it's that day or the day before, because you know sometimes it sort of plays for twenty four hours and yeah, it plays twenty four. So it was yesterday. Yeah, it was. There's normally a little um, time to say. Well, not time. We'll say how long ago it was posted. Yeah, I never but it's, pay um, enough attention. To <laughs> yeah, I love Insta stories. <laughs> I, um, I get a lot of inspiration and creativity using it. Yeah. So you were on the red carpet last night. Yeah, it was what Tangera. It was a dance, Argentinian dance uh, at uh, Sadler's Wells. Nice. Cool. And yeah. then gym this morning. Gym this morning. Walking the dog. Well. Meeting my daughter briefly, walking the dog, going to the gym, and seeing you. Cool. Oh, good. Well, uh, great to be here with you. Um, I uh, One thing that struck me from your Instagram was uh, this idea of... Uh, it feels like you have lots of different interests. And I read a thing on your blog that was talking about... Uh, did you use the phrase multiple potentialities? Oh, um, multi-potentialite. Multi-potentialite. Yes. Okay. So it kind of struck me that you're at a really interesting crossroads at the moment. So you've got this huge success uh, to build on in terms of, you know, your TV stuff and cookbooks and all of that. But then you're also kind of looking at getting into some different areas and different things as well. So just tell me a little bit about, about that. Like, where do you see yourself at right now, first of all? Start there. Well, I suppose it started off with the modelling and then I wanted to change that to find my passion. So I did all sorts of jobs in between to find out what I would really fall in love with. Um, But then after doing the books, I've done seven books. I'm doing lots of television in the States with baking, which I really love. And I kind of always diversify my brand. So from modeling to then a baker uh, to what I'm doing now. And it's not about leaving those other careers behind. I bring them all with me Mm. to form this massive 
I don't know what you'd call it. I am a multi-potentialite or a career chameleon. <laughs> career chameleon. I think it's... Um, and now I'm very much in a place where I need to do things with purpose. Yeah. So I want to find... Well, I have found um, a path where I can do something with real purpose and meaning. And so a lot of what you're doing at the moment with things like Instagram is about kind of exploring, you know, different ways of inspiring people. You're putting out stuff on your blog about careers and how to choose careers and different things so it's like you're trying to diversify away from just being about baking but actually being about multiple different things at the same time yes I think what it is is I've had quite a rocky past growing up and I think that once you've sort of done all the forgiveness and the processing of that you if you could find meaning like if you can find a purpose through your pain then I think it makes sense a lot more of the past yeah. and I kind of think my past and all that I went through I didn't go through all of that to only make cakes <laughs> right <laughs> so there's a reason I went through all of that and I think the reason is to help other people yeah not just bake mm. <laughs> which is really inspiring I mean uh, in terms of let's come back to success because I was going to talk yeah. to you about success and in terms of your TV show is being in 70 countries, you've sold a million books, you're all over the TV and stuff, so I'd really love to talk to you about that in terms of how you see success and whether you feel like you've achieved success or you want more. So I'll come back to that, but the inspiring bit for me was the fact that you have achieved all that despite having this really rocky start in life. And uh, so now you're uh, talking to people about fostering but you had so I read that you had several families between when you were born and 18 months old yeah so it's funny because people do say that what I've achieved despite what I've been through and I think mm. I've achieved this because of what I've been through rather yeah. than despite it um, it's but I mean me. I've, so my experience of um, fostering so I uh, did for many years a scheme called Independent Visitors which was mentoring kids who are in oh, either care or uh, so either in long term foster care um, or adoption yeah. um, and going to their review meetings and all that kind of stuff and also sitting on the board of Centrepoint like one of the things that I think is really under underplayed in society is uh, the like just the the criminal neglect of people in that care system like it doesn't feel like the care system really cares that much sometimes so I say despite because it feels like you are the exception do you think you're the exception? I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure if I'm the, ex the uh, exception. I think that often when you've been through something like this, it gives you a lot of inner strength and a lot of resilience and also a lot of drive to maybe not be anything like in the situation you were before. Yeah. So it, give, it does give a lot of motivation. And um, I think it's about trying somehow to flip it on its head and, and try and make sense of it go through the motions and all the grief and everything the sadness of what was or what should have been and what could have been and what wasn't and then just get getting on with it I mean it's always going to be there but in my as it's part of who I am but I've just tried to use it to my advantage I mean there's some wonderful foster carers out there um, and it's I suppose it's like as lucky as if you you get good biological parents or not. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Luck of the draw. But then there's also lots of structural elements that keep people who are in care away from those good 
foster parents or, you know... Yeah, they can be. It uh, depends. It depends on the borough you're in. The way and all kinds of other things. Yeah, it depends on the borough you're in. It depends. It's, there's a lot of luck involved. But it, the mm. services have improved a great deal. They've imp- improved a great deal. It's much better than it used to be. So do you ever... Do people ask you or do you ever sit and think, what was the thing that allowed you to really turn that into, you know, from a really what could have been a really negative or damaging experience like do you ever wonder what it was about you that made you flip that into a positive um, I think it's a lot about character and I think it's a lot about you know even though I've my mother always said I could do whatever I put my mind to so that's what I grew up with thinking that I could do whatever I put my mind to and um, a lot of I've done, I've done a lot of work on myself mm. <laughs> I've done a lot of self uh, seminars a lot of like hypnotherapy. I've done a lot of therapy. I mean, I've worked tirelessly. Yeah. I really have. If I hadn't done any therapy, I'd be a lot richer. Because <laughs> I was going <laughs> to ask uh, when you said you think it's about character. I was going to say, is that genetic or is that learned? So I think it's a lot about it's a combination, yeah. nature and nurture. But equally, you'll have a fam- biological family. You'll have one child that's like this and another child that's like that. One that's Ooh. a real tearaway, and the other one that isn't. I do think it's, I've always been a very happy person. So even as a baby, to speak to my foster parents from birth and stuff, they say you're always smiling anyway. Right. So maybe that's just in me. And does that that positivity, uh, you know, does that radiate as you look, you know, do you use that as a lens to look through when you're th- kind of thinking about certain situations as being, actually, this is something I know I can put my mind to, this is something I can definitely achieve and... I, sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't work yeah. you know I have days when I just think I can't even do anything and I suppose am I positive I suppose it's more optimistic maybe there's a difference maybe yeah I think I'm quite optimistic that everything will be okay mm. and I kind of have all sorts of emotions going through me all the time from the past because I don't think when you've been through like trauma and things like that um, especially if it's repeated Issues. I'm not sure it's something that disappears. I think yeah. you get tools to manage it, and so that's what I've acquired a lot more of now: is tools to manage things. And, and sometimes those, you know, those traumas or the emotions that you feel about a certain situation might be coming quite a long time after the thing happened. Right? Oh, yeah. So often, I think human beings, when they're in moments of crisis. Are quite good because you just flick onto that sort oh, of yeah. lizard survival. brain mode of survival, yeah. and then you know you get through it, and then it's afterwards that you go, "Shit, that was really terrifying," or "That happened," or yeah. Whatever. And all these so. children who have had difficult and challenging childhoods, you, you don't even process it really until adulthood. A lot of the yeah. time, you might be angry or not sleep or something, but you don't really know why because you're in that survival mode the whole time. You're in fight or flight, fight, fight or f- fight, flight or freeze. Yeah. For the whole time. Is that how you see it, being in care? So you never get out of that mode. It depends. I mean, it depends who you are. I mean, some people have amazing yeah. foster parents. They stay in one place. Yeah. But you have other children who've been with 14, 15. I met one girl who'd been with 50 families. Wow. Because it comes to the point where you're so used to being moved on that you then make it so they want to move you on so you test they test the foster parents and push and push and push because they just expect it anyway 
So it just depends on the circumstance. Yeah, but that, you know, if you think about that in a, in a kind of business context or a life context, you know, you have these crisis moments and then you need time to recover from that. So just being yeah. in that zone too much or the whole time... It's exhausting I mean, as well. It can be exhausting and really damaging, presumably, like quite quickly. Yeah. yeah, especially for young children. If they've been brought up in a lot of drama, then you, they, they become accustomed to drama, chaos mm. and drama. And they recreate that in their adult lives, with jobs, getting into trouble, relationships. And it's about unlearning the, uh, that chaos and drama is unhealthy. Right. And yeah. that... Because when you, when you get to a peaceful place, you're like, oh, this feels strange. It's mm. unfamiliar. Um, what's the biggest thing that you had to unlearn? Um, well, it's a chaos and drama because I'm so used. It is. It's, it's fight. You know, be angry. Mm. Uh, freeze, which is sort of anxious, not doing anything, or or, or run. Yeah. You know, um, avoid. So it's like it's uh, it's that st- constant state of, of drama that I've grown up with, and and, and it's unlearning it mm. now. <laughs> Have you got there? Do you feel like you're uh, at In parts, I'm a lot more at peace. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so let's just talk about the um, the success part of this whole story then. So huge success in the public eye. When I was doing my uh, research or stalking or intel, intel, depending on whatever. So you, we were just telling you before we started <laughs> recording that. In America, you just call it intel. intel. You don't need to say If stalking. you're stalking an ex, it's yeah. called intel. <laughs> it's intel. So even for ecstasy, they just call it intel. Social media intel. Oh, right, okay. So <laughs> when I was researching you for this interview, one of the first things that you... That often what happens when you put someone's name in is articles where they were in the news in the Daily Mail comes up top because the Daily Mail's really good at sort of... I don't know what they do to SEO that stuff well, to make what, their articles come out Isn't it on the most the read time. website after Google in the UK? Yeah, but it feels like if there's a news story, they get to the top above all the other sources of news which doesn't actually make sense from, a, from Google's point of view unless they must be paying Google no but they I have so know. many eyes on it because of that wall you know yeah. the, on, on the Daily Mail wall, wall of shame okay right the, the right hand side kind of thing but I don't know it feels like it shouldn't anyway I, I'm it not does. a fan of the Daily Mail so, but it seems to come up quite a lot but yeah there's a lot of stuff in there where it feels like for the last few years you've had you know when you've been doing TV or when you've you know, had stuff going on in your life. You're in the news. You're in, you know, you're, you're kind of in the public eye in in those moments. Um, is that something that you, you know, do you find that easy? Do you find that difficult? Like, how does that, how does that sit with you just as part of your life? I find it um, that unfortunately, sometimes, unfortunately, other times, it's just part of being a celebrity in the UK. Mm. You have to embrace the Daily Mail. <laughs> Embrace the Daily Mail and everything they say. Mm. And is that do you do you think of celebrity as being something that you want to be, or Um, it's not something that it's not something that I sort of set out to be? But um, now I'm grateful for it because I I can use it for the good. Yeah. So rather than it just being people are celebrity for different reasons, but I'm I'm excited about leveraging my celebrity to do something to help a lot of people. Which, not just bake. <laughs> Although baking uh, helps people too. It does, and it's something that I'm very passionate about. It, to me, it's nurturing. It's something yeah. you do for sharing. It's something you do for a special occasion. Obviously, it's great eating it. So it's actually 
part of what I'm doing now because I think it's a healthy body, healthy mind. I think it's important to indulge now and again. And the whole process of baking is, is lovely. Absolutely. And so having the baking and the indulgence on one side and then having the, you know, the kind of lifestyle and fitness and productivity and all the other kind of stuff that you talk about on your blog, it's kind of, a, you know, I find that it's a nice mix, actually, because it doesn't kind of tie you to, to one thing, one area. Do you feel successful? Do you feel like that's something? Do you feel that you can look back now at what, at what you've done so far and say, I'm a huge success? Or do you feel you want more and I think, do you feel um, like you're not there yet? I think success can be defined in many ways. Um, or success comes on different levels. So success in career, success in finding more peace, success in relationships. So mm. in my um, work, yeah, I'm very happy. I feel I am successful. And what keeps you going to achieve more when you're already successful? Well, I didn't, I didn't start... I didn't have a goal of success. I just had a goal of being busy and doing what I like and enjoy yeah so even though I hit success that wasn't my goal so it's, I'm not going to stop there because it's just something a byproduct of what I've been doing and I have many more things I want to do um, let's talk about busy mm-hmm. obviously the name of this podcast is beyond busy so you had the goal of being busy yes tell me what does that mean to you and what is busy the well point? I don't like not I don't like having nothing to do so to have to have the TV career on one side and then be able to form my own path on another, to be autonomous is great as well. Because obviously TV, um, there's all these brilliant creatives in television and I'm not in control of yeah. when they want me, how they want me, if they want me. So I can let that flow and go with it. And then on the other side, I can trailblaze this direction I'm going. And I think it's like I want to encourage people to to try things because so, I'm never afraid to try it it doesn't work I move on until you settle on what feels right the thing you want to be busy with because yeah. if you don't try you don't know you have all these lofty ideas sitting down with your friend discussing what you're going to do for, for five years and then not even trying it whereas I may have done a podcast one podcast and not enjoyed it but I do enjoy it very much but I was procrastinating for a long time over those Amazon boxes. <laughs> I think it's past their date, but I'm going to send it back anyway. <laughs> this is the Amazon boxes for the microphones. So the, two mics, yeah. something else, pop filter, whatever that is. <laughs> some other bits and pieces, some muff thing. that You know that thing that goes over the microphone? Right, just all that kit. All of it. So you're getting well into podcasting at the moment. and you're, mm-hmm. So it feels like part of your philosophy is... Just try something, see if it works. You've got to try it. You can talk about it till you're blue in the face. It's like doing social media or getting your social media right. You've just got to try try it. Put it out there. If it doesn't work, you can always delete it. Yeah. You've just got to try. Do you feel there's more more of a risk for you doing that now that you are in the public eye than it than there was before? If I sit on my if I sit and do nothing, it's a risk. And if I if I do stuff it's a risk. Oh you mean like for the paper saying something or something like that? Yeah, well, and just do you have that voice in your head internally saying, what if this goes wrong? I used know? to have it. Yeah. But I'd be, well, if I worried about what other people thought, I wouldn't do anything. Mm. And other people can be your family and friends, etc., or it can be the newspapers and other people. But 
I'm giving it a try. I'm seizing the day and I'm giving it a try. Yeah. So if they've got anything to say, let them say it. <laughs> Lovely. If they need to make their salary, <laughs> say it. I love that. <laughs> um, I maybe part of asking that question is I I kind of struggle with the idea of being too uh, in the public eye. Like I I've, I have probably over time done everything possible actually to sort of resist you know putting myself out there in terms of doing TED talks and TV and whatever I've done li- like little bits of TV and actually the last bit of TV I did um, which was the ITV Tonight Show thing um, I actually really enjoyed it I actually really had fun doing that but it's always been, I've always kind of shied away from doing that thing so part of it is maybe me having this mindset around uh you know, just not not wanting that judgment or judgment or, or, from or, Bill or, on the couch. Yeah, with his or just Castleman fe- Forex. Yeah, right. I'm just feeling <laughs> feeling like those ju- the judgments of other people hold me back from doing stuff. I never read book reviews on Amazon, for example. Like, I just don't want to know no, what people either. are saying about me. And I, think, and I feel like with that, it's healthy. Yes. But I think maybe what just inspired me there is you know you kind of saying, oh, I've now got to a point where because I've just had to sort of live with the idea of the judgment might be coming from the Daily Mail or whatever it just gets you to a place of just being like oh I'm kind of freed from that like it feels like yeah it's like you're more free from that than I am and you have much more to fear than I do in that sense because I've screwed myself away more I think it's the the British mentality very much we're not Mm. exhibitionists as a nation and to sort of proclaim you want to be successful you want to make lots of money or you want to be famous is really a dirty word whereas in Mm. in, in other countries they embrace it a lot more and I mean, I'm it's the true. same as you, where I didn't really want to be in the public eye. When I, wherever I went out, I used to go around the back door and, you know, no one would see me. But the thing is, what got us to where we are now is not going to get us to where we want to be next. Mm. So we can't do the squirreling and hiding away. You've got to get out there. And even though it's difficult, like you said, when you went out, you did the ITV, you enjoyed it. When I went out to the red carpet, I don't like the red carpet. It's very difficult to find much of the red carpet, even though I would be in the building... I didn't do the red carpet a lot of the time. Is that allowed? Yeah. They'll give you the tickets, but then they'll say, oh, yeah. just come in the I other go way. to the Brits and I go around the back with the <laughs> catering staff are going. Nice. But I realise now that this is, it's about being transparent and it's about being a person that everyone can relate to and yeah. that's what people want now. Mm. And if you're not, you get left behind. Mm. So you really have to get out there, like you said, you're documenting, it's, br- it's brilliant, but... It's just that thought that what got us here, the success that you know we both have, the way we did it, is not going to get us to where we want to go next. Yeah, it's all change, and social media, and having a voice and being out there is 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 king. Mm. And your audience, so so your audience is quite broad, but Very. they're not they're not primarily the kind of food bloggers and the younger people on. Uh, you know, Instagram and Snapchat and, you know, and, and those kind of worlds. So is this a conscious thing for you at the moment of trying to reach more of those people and, and, and you know, adopt that tactic of, you know, slightly change your approach to... I don't have many of the food bloggers because most of the food bloggers are around healthy food, the mm. young, the under 35s so with the healthy food. So I have a lot of um, pe- people that, that, of the baking. So if I was maybe a healthy food person, which I am as well, my per- personally... Um, then I probably would have more food bloggers. I've got people, the range is, the biggest age group is the 25 to 34. Okay. And then the next one is the one after, the 44, Generation X. And then, (laughs) (laughs) 
and then the one before, yeah, then the sort of 17-year-olds. So I want to help people that... I want to help people that really want help. Mm. And I look into, like, my daughter's age. I mean, she knows what she wants to do. She's known what she wants to do for a while. But there's so many people that don't know and are a bit lost. So there's loads of people like Gary Vaynerchuk, make money and this and just start. But it's like some people that don't know what to do. They don't know mm. what to start. Yeah. I don't know what I like. I don't know who I am. I don't know what my purpose is. I, it's not just about making money. I want to do something with meaning and purpose, but I need to find out what it is. What is that? I want to be empowered to do something. And um, that's, what the, that's the people I want to help. So whatever age they are, but I know it's a lot the younger generation because the older generation, they're kind of sorted, they're in their jobs. They might want to find more purpose in life and meaning in life. As far as careers, a lot of them, they're just going to stay where they are. <laughs> do you not feel that they have the same wants and desires to shift into doing something else and to have that I can't remember your phrase multiple potential oh multi-potentialites multi-potentialites so there must be multi-potentialites who are in their 50s who are ready to do something different or to seek meaning and purpose some other way I'd like to help yeah so there's the the older generation yeah finding meaning but finding meaning within what they're doing perhaps perhaps some people don't want to shift jobs or they Mm. want to find more purpose so I think if you've got a purpose it makes life so much better if you've got a reason for doing what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're just plodding along, you're sort of, what am I doing this for? I'm not really getting anything out of it. That's why I admire the under 35s because <laughs> they really want to do stuff with meaning. I mean, that's awesome. I love how you're really trying hard not to say the word millennial. I can't. I said it to my daughter <laughs> once and I will not be saying it ever again. Trust what was, me. What was her reaction? Don't call me that. <laughs> I wasn't actually calling her that. I was asking for some help for some research about her age group. Right. She just said, "Don't." <laughs> <laughs> but it does. It does feel like there is a, a a different attitude in that younger age group around wanting to, you know, not be tied nine to five, Monday to Friday, to one thing. To maybe have a bit more of a portfolio, to maybe do their own side projects and side hustles and things like that alongside doing a job. Feels like that's more of a mentality of younger people than older people. Oh, they're super entrepreneurial. Hmm. Really entrepreneurial, really driven, really hard workers, really clever, very bright. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sort of quite looking forward to being left behind by that generation in some ways, right? Like just letting them, feels like they're starting to push the technology forward and lots of these other things in a way that we're actually going to be we're going to be the version of uh, our parents 20 years ago who couldn't work the VHS right and we were having to program the VHS like it feels like we're now we're those older people muddling around a little bit more it's kind of cool I like it I put it on Twitter just now and there was a a girl she said yes so I know you hate us millennials (laughs) and I know that you we annoy you etc but next time you want a word print, a word document printed, don't ask us, Carol. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can do that bit. Uh, let's, in fact, let's talk about productivity then. So, um, yeah. so, so productivity. Uh, what does that, what does that mean to you, and why is that important to you? Productivity is getting as much done in the shortest amount of time. <laughs> Being productive, not just uh, busy doing nothing. Mm. but being productive so getting yeah getting as much done in the shortest amount of time 
so like I get up at five and I, med- I meditate, walk the dog, do my social media, do a blog post, then I go to the gym. So it's simple. I, I, I don't need much sleep because I think sleep's a waste of time if you have too much. Yeah, six, what's too five, much? I have five hours, maybe six. Wow, okay. If I sleep longer, then I just feel like I've wasted time when I could have done stuff. Mm. And you never feel tired? I'm tired today, but that's because I went out last night. <laughs> I'm like... I'm like an eight-hour guy. Right? Oh, Lord. I cannot... No. Five hours would... If, in fact, if I have two days of five hours of sleep, I'm utterly unproductive and useless. Like, it really it affects me really badly. I need that sleep. So, five, have you always been like that? Five hours a night? Yeah, five or six, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so, what's a typical working day? So, you get up at 5 a.m.? Well, I get up at 5... AM 5.15 meditate for 20 minutes yeah then I do my social media for the day um then I walk the dog go to the gym when you say you do your social media for the day is that scheduling posts yeah blog posts and whatever pictures I might be posting might do a podcast on on the anchor app yeah yeah all of that this is all while most people are still asleep right yeah yeah so that's till what seven or something? That's till sort of six thirty. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then, what does the rest of a typical day look like? Well, on a productive day, um, it would mean coming back. I always um, I clean the house every day. I mean, I Hoover every day. It's part of my ritual. Really? Okay. <laughs> Since I bought my Dyson animal with a long thing, <laughs> no cord. It's actually really enjoyable. I have one of those with no cord. It's, it's the game, long one. It's a game changer. It is a game changer. Yeah. I'm not sponsored by Dyson, <laughs> but it's enjoyable. You're just walking around, so I do that, and I think a lot then. And then I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say it's enjoyable. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and then I um, get down to work. So a lot of research I'm doing at the moment, a lot of research and a lot of writing. Um, I'm doing a life coaching course at the moment, so I don't want to be a life coach, but I like knowing how to ask questions that are going to produce good answers so I'm doing that and then I've also got two product ranges coming out so I'm doing all the designs for that edible and non-edible and then if I am working so I work mainly in America at the moment and then I'm just up up and filming all day yeah yeah and are you how how often are you in the States what's the about 50-50 oh really okay Mm, actually, no, not for 50. I would say this year, probably three months. I've worked for three months of the year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, and do you carry on a lot of those same sort of rituals and part of the schedule while you're there? So you still get up early, you still meditate, you still do all yeah. this kind of thing? Yeah, so our call time's normally 8 a.m. Yeah. in um, America. I've been working a lot in New Orleans filming. So I get up at 4.30 and then meditate and go to the, be in the gym by 5.30, work out for an hour, all that. Wow. Yeah. Um, is this so have you always started the working day so early or is it partly inspired by the whole Gary Vaynerchuk kind of feels like there's this Gary Vaynerchuk no, hustle I thing going on no I was doing that way before so you've been I'm doing older it before. than him <laughs> <laughs> I, I, the reason I ask that is I feel like no uh, that's to do with him I feel like he has really uh, he's really inspired a lot of people to just start getting up super super early I didn't even know he got up early to be honest well, I know a lot about him because video blogs out and it's always like the first part of the video is always look at me at 5am 
on my way to the gym I've or only, something he, like I, that. I've only seen one like gym J- video, J-V Gary. One whatever. gym video. <laughs> no, I've been doing it for years. Yeah. yeah. So it's just kind of how you operate. Yeah, years and years, yeah. What makes a day unproductive for you? What makes you unproductive well, as a person? You know, I don't mind an unproductive day because I think it's because I work so hard and get up so early sometimes. Some, on other days, I don't really get much done because it's almost like recharging. Yeah. So you know when you're self-employed, there's no cut-off. So the other night I was working until 2 a.m. Then I had to be some. I had to get up at six. But, but then maybe today after this, perhaps I won't work as much. Saturdays and Sundays are doesn't they're the same as Monday to me. When people say, "Oh, it's bank holiday weekend. What are you doing?" I'm like, "Well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm self-employed. So it doesn't make any difference. <laughs> it's a bank holiday like, weekend." Only the muggles have bank holidays, right? That's the thing. So yeah. Um, so being. On an unproductive day, I might just be pottering around the house, tidying up, yeah. doing the clear clear out stuff, and that's okay because you need those days so that you can be super productive on other days. So if you need downtime on a Thursday or Friday, you'll take it. Oh and yeah. If you if you feel like you're in the zone, you'll work on a Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. And so I work every day. Yeah. But, so yeah. that leads me to sort of ask where how do you draw boundaries because obviously the, the thing with Monday to Friday is it's a really nice it makes it, it's a really nice rule for people isn't it so it, it creates a rhythm and then you have two days of rest and then you get back to it so if yeah. you don't have those two days of rest how do you make sure that you're drawing those boundaries properly and not over, well, overdoing it or it's interesting isn't it because who said you need two days of rest I get rest when I'm sleeping mm. so I mean I do like I went to Wimbledon last week last Sunday I'm going to polo this weekend so I do find times to rest but I don't think like having oh I go on holiday now and again (laughs) but you know what when you're doing work that you love it doesn't Mm. feel like work I think that's the difference and that's why I'm really keen on helping people find what they want to do because it doesn't feel like work at all when I used to work I worked in Waitrose when I was younger I love shopping in Waitrose but working in Waitrose, the hours did not fly by. <laughs> you know? <laughs> they just didn't. Whereas this, with the, what I'm doing now, and I was doing on my Intel, yesterday, <laughs> I was going to out on the red carpet, and I was almost wishing I wasn't going out because I was enjoying what I was doing so much. Mm. So it's about finding work that you love. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in terms of that whole... Uh, so in terms of the drawing the boundaries in terms of the rhythm of work so you'll work through the weekend or you'll take some downtime whatever yeah uh, how do you feel about the, the other kind of boundary which is the boundary of connectivity and the idea that you could be always on or you might have people always kind of making demands on you and, and things like that like do you find it difficult to to switch off when you do need to switch off or how, well how I does, don't have do my, e- my email window you know my email app thing on my phone it's not on my first page. Okay. So it's on the second page. Otherwise, I get stressed. So yeah. that is one, one way that I don't switch on. I mean, I'm on my, self, my mobile all the time. Yeah. I'm just on it all the time. And I, I, I love it. So I did a thing recently. We, at Think Productive, we had a big away day. And we brought in uh, some people called... They're called Shine Offline. And so their whole thing is how do we develop our relationship with the mobile phone and how do we make sure that's a healthy relationship and that we're not addicted to it and obviously you know the people who design 
Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all these things their job is to make it as sticky as possible and to keep you on there as long as possible so you know these guys are basically saying how can we how can we counteract that how can we think about that stuff in different ways and it really made me think that I was probably spending too much time on my phone I probably, I've since adopted a few little rules to change that so now I now charge my phone downstairs in the kitchen and then I have a, an actual real alarm clock like there's old school alarm clocks um, so I set that every night and it me and it's really made a difference to me in that that last half hour or hour before I go to bed you know I'm maybe reading a book or I'm just sitting in my bedroom right and just actually not being engaged with you know news on Twitter and reading an article in the Guardian and looking at this and looking at that and it's really helped me to kind of I guess you know have that downtime or or recharge kind of time do you feel like do you ever feel kind of frazzled with your phone do you feel like you're on it too much how do you feel I know I'm on it well on on it too much I suppose according to whom (laughs) 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 and um, I don't let it control me and I think since I changed the emails that's what made all the difference because otherwise every time Mm. I picked it up the email and the email and email stressed me out so now I just on my apps but I really enjoy so, so, it so now you've you've replaced being on your email all the time with being on other apps all the time yeah right? <laughs> that I choose to be on but that's that's a, a choice rather, rather than, than yeah, yeah rather than feeling forced upon you <clears throat> yeah no I do understand the but I do have a lot of time with friends connecting but I just I'm addicted to my phone yeah yeah I know I am can't, can't talk my way out of that yeah um I've asked this question to a few people, and I, I think it's I think it's a really interesting <coughs> question. So um, this comes from uh, Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, yeah. and does a couple of TED talks. And she asked this amazing <coughs> question, which is um, so her question was: when you think about choosing a career, don't just think about what's the career that you'd love to do. Think about what's the career that you'd love to do, but also that you're prepared to eat the shit sandwich that goes with that particular career. So it's like there's always going to, you know, if, you're, if you love law, fair enough, but you're going to have to work really long hours if you're a lawyer. Are you cool with that? Then fine, you know. And, and sort of thinking about that in different industries and different contexts. How do you think that relates to you? What do you think is the, what's the shit sandwich that you have to eat to be you? What's the, what's the downside of being you? Well, it's quite a harsh way of saying it, Liz, but... <laughs> <laughs> I love that phrase. Well, I think it's everything. With everything, there's a positive and negative. So with TV... It's up, it's down. Is the show going to work? Is it not? How's it going to be received? You get all the press with it. You know, all of that kind of thing. You've got the, the delightful people who like to say negative things on Twitter. All of that is the negative side of it. And the press is the downside because they'll the, say negative stuff? Or is it the downside in terms of demands on your time? Well, I was talking about the downside of things because the yeah. press, um, for me, really has been very much an upside. Mm. Um, it's the downside when they say something that's not nice yeah but most of the time they promote my books and they do interviews and this and that but you just have to take the rough with the smooth so whatever you do in life whether it's a relationship or anything there's rough and there's smooth there's valleys Mm. and peaks so yeah and I think it's unrealistic to think otherwise but that's even if you're working in some amazing spiritual place there's going to be some downside and I suppose that's the point of her question, isn't it? It's kind of saying, acknowledging that that stuff is there and that there are oh, yeah. difficult times in whatever you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, how, do you, how do you manage you when you're not motivated? So when you're going through some of those rougher moments, you've had maybe a bad piece of publicity yeah. or you're 
feel like you're um, you know working loads and loads of hours because you're on a deadline with a TV thing or something like uh, if you feel like you're demotivated or down how do you manage yourself in those moments I mean I've had lots of periods of that not feeling motivated and I think first of all it's knowing that it's going to pass is very key and then second of all um, if it's a job I'm doing or a career I'm in or something that's not motivating me anymore then I just constantly search for ways to find motivation because mm. it's something it doesn't matter how many people are saying yeah well Tony Robbins Gary saying yeah do it do it if you're not in that space it's not going to work I, when I'm like that mm. I, I, I watch something like a Tony uh, Tony Robbins when you're feeling good he can make you feel great when you're feeling a bit down I watch him and I just oh fuck off <laughs> you know oh, I just, yeah. it's like, yes, oh just leave, leave me alone I watch not Netflix <laughs> I just lie on my Got it. So in my kitchen, there's like an L shape where you can sit. Yeah. I just lie there and watch Netflix. I binge watch something. I watch that show, Shit's Creek. It's really funny. I don't know. What's that one? The, you know the guy from American Pie, the father with the big eye. Oh the right, eyebrows. yeah, yeah. He's in it. Okay. And it's just funny. Shit's Creek. So yeah. I, over the last few months, I feel like everyone is telling me all these things to watch on Netflix. So I've just got this massive list now. Yeah, you got to get on it. I you got to binge yeah. watch. I need to get. Well, that's how you I do need it. to you get binge. some more binge and go. You I need really to binge do. watch. Um, so for you, it's more about uh, almost like sitting down and saying, "I'm going to wait for this to pass," rather than trying to work on it or change it in that moment into something positive. Yeah, I think it's about acceptance. Um, mm. Just accepting that. I mean, if it goes on for years, then maybe I might want to look at it. But <laughs> I think it's been it's been hard to accept because I yeah. like to be busy. So if I'm not motivated, I'm not busy. But it's a lot about accepting how you're feeling. Because there's all this, yeah, change it, be this and that. But if you feel like crap, don't feel motivated, then uh, I own it. Yeah. And accept yeah. it. Because I think not owning it and not accepting it often can cause a lot of anxiety when you're not actually feeling your true feelings. You start trying to bat them away or you use your phone and all of this to try and... Oh, some people drink, some people do all sorts to try and stop feeling that mm. way. Sometimes you've just got to sit with it and just let it process, sit with it on a chair and just feel everything you're feeling. And part of it also is that you can start to work on something, trying to change something, whether that's motivation or you want to improve a habit or you know get a new routine to work, whatever. And then if it's not working, then you just beat yourself up for the fact yeah. that it's not working. So if you're in an anxious place anyway or a down, demotivated place anyway, it just makes that stuff worse, doesn't it? Yeah. But then, you know, you've obviously found something that you're very good at and you're very productive with it. And I think if you, if you, if you found something that you love, found something that, not just love, because you don't have to love it, even found something that gives you a purpose, mm. that you know you're doing good for other people, then the motivation and the productivity come much more easily. Yeah, and if you're on a down day, you'll know it will come back. Yeah. It'll come back round. Um, you wrote a thing about... Um mental health and the gym mm-hmm. do you, so uh, do you remember the piece yeah you, yeah so uh, just talk to me about that piece and the connection between mental health I and was the gym writing it because a lot of people and it's very big at the moment fitness bloggers health bloggers and it's all about your body and everything like this but for me it's gone beyond that and it's much more to do with my peace of mind and so the endorphins and everything else that you get after exercising and during 
are really important to me. And often if you're going through a difficult time, you're not motivated. See, see um, the gym, I always go to the gym, even if I'm not motivated. Yeah. Because I just, I, I, it's really important for my mental stability. And is that every day? Four times a week or five. Okay. So I wrote that piece because I wanted people to see the benefits of the gym beyond the way they look mm. and physical health. And the particular thing in there was you were saying, uh, was it after your mum died? Is that mm-hmm. the thing? And you said you were really down and then you managed to just sort of drag yourself to the gym and that was the yeah, I mean, moment like, where you started to see it. Grief is, is like, I re- read a really interesting description and it's like, you're in the sea and the massive waves are crashing over you and they don't stop crashing over you, the waves of emotion. They're high, they're big, they're incessant. And then the waves keep crashing over you, but they come less. Mm. And then gradually they come less and they're smaller. And it was during that time when I just knew that I had to do something, otherwise I was just going to go stay in the abyss. So when I had a slightly up moment, I just got up and I went to the gym. And it, yeah, just going there, being around people, trying to do a bit until the, another wave came. So sometimes I'd only work out for 10 minutes. Yeah. But then, I, then I'd go home, but at least I went. Mm. Yeah, it really helped. And so just that sense of doing something about it, being proactive, trying to, trying yeah. to work on that as a, as a thing that can aid your mental health and kind of... Yeah, absolutely. Have you feeling good about stuff even in down moments? Yeah. That's something you find really important. You just have to do. I think um, when you're not motivated, it's very difficult. But if I did only stuff when I felt it that felt right, I wouldn't get anywhere. Hmm. Sometimes you just got to get up and get going. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk a bit more about careers. So you are an ambassador for the National Career Service? But what um, got you yeah. interested in talking well, about careers? I, I talk about careers because I've done quite a few. <laughs> and um, I changed, and I'm not afraid to change. And they just saw me as a good ambassador for that. Yeah. To help people find what they love or find what is going to give them meaning. And I read as part of that that one of the things you looked into doing was to be a car mechanic. Yes, yeah, so in my quest to find <laughs> the perfect job, I um, found a book called um, about career changing, What Colour Is Your Parachute? Yeah. And it said that you should look at all the things that you like doing and then see if you can make a career out of it. So I did all these courses or work experience to see which one made me tick. And was there a particular time in your life where that was happening or is that just something you've always done? No, it was after um, the birth of my daughter, so I didn't want to be flying around all the time. I wanted to make sure I was in one place. So you'd given up, you were doing modelling? I was doing a little bit of modelling, but I was moving back from New York to stay in London. Okay. And I thought, right, what can I do? And I wanted to find something that I enjoyed a bit more as well. So it was at that point that you were just kind of looking around. It feels a little bit like... It's one of the things I love about doing this podcast, actually, is I get to talk to people who've had very... who've been wearing lots of different hats and different costumes in the world. You know, yeah. I always think back to the kids' TV show, Mr. Ben, you know, yeah, where he goes into show. the cupboard and he's like, oh, I'm going to be a fireman today. And yeah. Like, um, and usually what I like about doing this podcast is that in the course of six months or a year, I might meet, you know, 20 people like that. It feels like you've worn four or five costumes really <laughs> well, right? So the model thing and, mm. and TV and, and, and Baker and all that kind of stuff. 
So is that something that you want to continue to do no, going I mean, forward is kind of look at different careers? I mean, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I, I really am enjoying the path that I'm on, the, the paths that I'm on at the moment. Mm. And I think, I think I can do, well, I'm hoping I can make an impact in the field I want to go in. And what would be the, what would be the, from, from all of that experience and changing and trying to, so I think often when you change, it's the quest for acceptance, isn't it? It's the quest to be taken seriously doing the new thing that you've just learned how to do as opposed to the thing that you're doing previously. So if people are going through that and they perhaps want to, you know, break into a first career or they want to break into a second or third or they're stuck in one thing and they want to do something different, what's the thing that you've learnt through your journey that you think could really help them? Don't look for acceptance. Um listen to your gut you know what you want to do and make it happen and just see how you can be valuable see how what you how can, you can be valuable to other people mm. bring value to people so and, and forget acceptance because family and friends there often say things that aren't that helpful sometimes I say lots of helpful things but often mm. people hold you back by some of the things they say or put doubts into your mind but our gut is so powerful and strong our intuition was all we had at one point so I think it's about trusting it you have to trust it and go for it but make sure that you are bringing some kind of value something yeah. that people can buy something that's scalable and that could also just as easily be bring that value to the boss of the company and the industry that you want to be in as well right it doesn't have yeah, to be you selling exactly. up on your own but it it's can... bringing value as a exactly so what else could you do above and beyond? I think it's about if you really want to be do something different. It's about how much value can I bring? You've got to work harder than other people. You've got to be looking, doing more research than other people, working longer hours than other people. If you want to bring more, mm. so it's just about giving it that extra. It's giving extra. You've got to give extra. Sounds yeah. like the the Halifax man. Oh yeah, where's he? I haven't seen him for a while. But that <laughs> sense of yeah, like uh, I think that's one of the things that I've. I've always found it surprising that some people don't think of this question when you're, you know, going for a job or you're trying to train up in a new area or whatever. But that question of sitting down with the person who you want to emulate or, you, or the industry that you want to be in or whatever and saying, how can I bring you value right now? And it, it does feel like one of those things that people often overlook because they kind of think, how do I get the education or how do I, you know, maybe it's you know, they start to have self-defeating thoughts about how do they achieve stuff. But actually just connecting one-on-one -on -one with the person who's in that place and saying, how, how can I help right now? How, how can I bring you value? Really yeah. important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if people want to, uh, so just before we wrap up, if people want to uh, get hold of you or follow you, how do they find you on the internet? Where are the um, it's at Lorraine Pascal on, on everything. And... Yeah, Twitter's a good place to contact me. Best place, at Lorraine Pascal. Or through my website, lorrainepascal.com. Cool. So the last thing I was going to ask you is, uh, what, what are you most excited about in the next few months? What's, what's coming up for you? I'm excited about going back to America and filming um, the show that I do in um, August. Holiday, I've got two, two holidays planned. Nice. So I'm looking forward to. And spending more time with my daughter 
and also just the path I'm going down. And I think it is that having that freedom to just say, people are gonna people are gonna criticise you anyway, so you might as well just do what you want. Cool. Um, that's lovely. And that's for an author who scrolls himself away, that's really inspiring. So, um, Lorraine, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. So that's it for my conversation with Lorraine Pascal. I'm still sat here on a Friday night in Brighton. But two things have changed since I did the intro recording uh before you listen to my conversation with, with Lorraine. So two things have changed. One is it's started really raining outside and I'm now, I just had this kind of realisation of one of my first thoughts was, but it's good for the garden. I am that old and that has happened. Uh, so there's that. Uh, the second thing is I started drinking some wine. Uh, shout out to Darrenberg and to Chester Osborne, previous guest on Beyond Busy, uh, one of the best wineries in Australia. I'm drinking Stump Jump Shiraz and it is delicious it's really good so I'm kind of wondering whether recording this outro now is a bad idea but there you go Uh, so thanks to Lorraine a couple of things to say about the conversation with Lorraine often it takes me three or four days to really work out what I've learnt from a conversation like that I feel like my learning style is quite reflective it takes me a lot of time to really kind of percolate ideas and stuff Uh, And I think that will come because I literally recorded this a few hours ago. But there was two things that really quickly jumped out at me. Uh, Even on the train on the way home, I was starting to think about these things. Uh, The first is uh, Lorraine had this attitude of just trying stuff out, see what happens, test it, see what works. And this kind of fearlessness and entrepreneurial zeal of approach of just kind of testing and seeing what works. Um, And just being really playful with that kind of stuff. I feel like that's something that I found much easier in the early stages of Think Productive and even before Think Productive. Like before I had a business, I think I I think I found it quite easy to be a little bit playful, but a little bit devilish, a little bit kind of off the wall uh, to push boundaries, to, to test rules, all that kind of thing. And I feel like it's something I've, I, it's kind of waned in me as as a kind of trait or as a characteristic. I feel like maybe I've been suppressing it a little bit. And I don't know if anyone else listening to this has that same feeling. You know, maybe the, the further you get into your career, maybe it's a kind of, as you get older and it kind of feels like there's more at stake. Uh, it feels like it's more, it's kind of harder to be more playful and it's kind of harder to, uh, to sort of uh, push the boundaries and kind of test the rules in, in different places. Maybe it feels like you don't want to upset clients or whatever. I don't know. It just feels like it's easier to do that with a startup business than with a million pound business. It just kind of feels like that's, uh, yeah, just something that's hard. So I think it's just inspired me to get back into that mindset a little bit and to just maybe be a little bit more cheeky and a little bit more devilish in the stuff that I do from September onwards when I go back into work. So uh, yeah, really inspired by that very big ethereal kind of idea that just really felt very strong in the energy that Lorraine was giving out with those things. Um, So that's that one. And the other one was a really practical thing around Instagram stories. I feel like uh, Lorraine does Instagram stories really well. I've been following her, her stuff on there for a few days. And it feels like a really interesting platform and it feels like it's a platform that's time has come. I think this whole notion of disposable content, stuff that's only around for 24 hours, it gives you perhaps a little bit more license to, again, just kind of chuck stuff out there and be uh, slightly testing in your mindset uh, with that and, and be slightly playful with that as well. 
to show people stuff behind the scenes. I've always kind of winced at that kind of notion of why would anyone want care about that kind of thing? And I certainly think that when I see some other people's stuff, you know, it's like, why do I really care about what you're eating and all those kind of things? Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm intrigued by it. I, f- I feel like it's something I want to give a go when I'm uh, when I'm back in work mode fully from September. So I'm going to play around with Instagram stories. I'm going to make that a thing uh, from September, October when I'm back at work. So follow me on Instagram. It's just at Graham Alcott. I don't have many followers on Instagram. I think maybe that's part of why I uh, overlook it somewhat. But I also think... You know, I think it's time has come because Twitter feels like it's a place that's kind of filled up with bile and negativity and all of that. Facebook, I lost the plot and lost the will to live with Facebook a long time ago and left Facebook about two years ago. Uh, But yeah, even Twitter feels like I was really interested by something that Marianne Cantwell said to me a few weeks ago when, when I was interviewing her. And I think this is something that maybe she said off off the mic, you know, when we'd stopped recording. She said... Twitter for her is a really happy, positive place. And, you know, maybe if you're finding it a really negative or difficult place to be, then perhaps it's just like who you're following or the way you're using it. Or maybe there's just some kind of way of engineering. Maybe it's up to us to engineer and and change the platforms to reflect what we want them to be and the experience that we want to have in those places. And I think that was just kind of an interesting thing to think about because often we just kind of consume these things quite passively right like and we tend to follow the rules that are set up for us by facebook or twitter or whatever but yeah like tailoring it to be the thing that you want it to be was something that i found quite inspiring so yeah maybe i'll look at doing that with twitter but I, i feel like instagram stories and instagram in general is a place that i want to spend more time over the next few months so I'll be looking at that and looking forward to catching up with Lorraine again. We had this plan of in September, uh, me recording an interview for her podcast. So just kind of swapping around. So I will, if you're listening to this past, maybe say October, 2017, uh, then I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. So you'll be able to find a link to my interview on Lorraine's podcast. And there's a whole lot more, by the way, if you don't know about, uh, the website for this podcast, it's it's uh, getbeyondbusy.com, getbeyondbusy.com. And on there, we have show notes for each of the episodes, links to all the stuff that we talked about. And you can listen to all the previous episodes from there. Um, incidentally, as well, it is also one of the most played places that uh, this podcast gets played, if that makes sense. So I think it's the second most uh, popular platform for Beyond Busy is actually the website, getbeyondbusy.com. Uh, which is a weird thing, but I think maybe it's a reflection of the fact that quite a lot of people who listen to this come at it through my audience and maybe they're not podcast people, they're more kind of people who listen to stuff on desktop computers and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, people who we've we've trained in workshops and all that kind of thing. So if you are one of those people, by the way, if you're listening to this mainly through the website itself, I would encourage you to get onto uh, the Apple podcast app, onto Beyond Pod or one of the Android ones, Stitcher, those kind of things. Uh, and subscribe through there and then you will know automatically when a new episode comes out there's a cool little podcast training tip for you to end the episode uh, so that's it for another episode of Beyond Busy please do like and subscribe and all that stuff we'll be back in two weeks time with another episode and until then take care bye for now bye for now